Today's subject is on the appeal for forgiveness. We're going to start a new book here, Philemon. Philemon, if as you notice, is only 25 verses. There are no chapters. If you need to have a chapter, call it chapter one if you'd like. But it's the, the shortest of letters, epistles, written by Paul of all of his letters. We also will find out not only is it the shortest, but it's the most personal and the most private letter that he has written to a man called Philemon. Philemon is a pastor or a person who's in charge of the churches or has a, at least he has a house church or a church present in his house, I should say, a house church that he uh, is a dear friend and brother uh, serving and, and supporting Paul all of this time. The main theme of this little letter of Philemon is Christian forgiveness. And that is what this letter is all about. Of course, that is what our subject is today. The three main characters that you're going to see in this letter is Paul writing to a man named Philemon there who lives in Colossae. Now, Paul is in Rome in prison at this point in time. So he's writing this letter from house arrest in Rome to this man, his friend Philemon and Colossae. And he's going to address another man by the name of Onesimus, who is a runaway slave who was the slave of Philemon's. And uh, Onesimus took the run and now Paul has met this man, uh, Onesimus. Things have changed in, their, in this, man's life's, uh, this man's life, Onesimus, and that changes everything in regards to relationships. When you get saved, relationships change, and we will see that played out here in this letter. We also know that Paul had not founded this church in Colossae. He was not, he's never even been to this place. But we find in the scripture is likely that this church started as a result of his ministry in Ephesus. We see that in Acts chapter 19. We see Epaphras was the founding pastor there in Colossae. We see that, or we'll see that when we get to verse 23 of Philemon. So there, Paul's ministering in Ephesus, touches a man's name, touches many people's lives. Here comes a man by the name of Epaphras, then God sends him over to this place called Colossae, who then is the one that actually is the pastor, um, starting this new work in this area. And then we find in the scriptures here today that Epaphras is now back over to Paul, ministering to Paul while in prison. And we see others in place now and being the pastor and house church and all this plays out. It's a beautiful thing in the body of Christ. But here Philemon chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon our beloved friend and fellow laborer. So right there in verse 1, we see Paul, we see that Timothy, young Timothy, his protege, is right by his side there in the first imprisonment here in Rome. So faithful Timothy is right there during this period of time. And Paul is writing this personal letter to Philemon, 
who is seen by Paul as a beloved friend, a fellow laborer doing the work of God. And we see that this short letter that was written by Paul, it would be around 62-63 AD is when he wrote this letter to Philemon. And you can confirm that if you go back and read Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. But notice here, Paul here does something different in this letter. Normally he refers to himself as an apostle in his other letters. But because this is so personal of a letter to Philemon, he refers to only on a personal level as a friend, as a, as a co-worker. But he doesn't address himself as an apostle to remind. Why? Because this is not written for the congregation at whole. Usually he'll say he's the apostle in his other letters because it, the letter was to be written or to be read to the entire church body, to the congregation, uh, through the pastor that he was writing to. But here he's actually writing to primarily to Philemon as a personal level, and we will see why here in a few minutes. But Paul did not consider himself a prisoner of Rome, notice. He wasn't a prisoner because of his situations. He wasn't a prisoner of his, his past consequences. He's not a prisoner of what things or trauma that has happened to him in the past. Those things did not define Paul as a believer. His past issues or past traumas or current situations or current traumas or current environments. That did not define this man. God defined this man. Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, defines him as who he is in the present day. And how important that is true for us as well. We are to understand that we are defined by Jesus Christ and who we are in that relationship who saved us. He's our Savior. And how for us to be able to forgive others is we must first remember we have been what? Forgiven. It starts with that. That's our foundation. He's our cornerstone of understanding that he has forgiven us of all of our sins. And we understood that and studied that in the book of Titus, did we not? And it's only by the grace of God that we can declare and stand there solid, knowing that we have been forgiven of all our sins if you are a believer. That is, if you've been regenerated, you've been born again. If that doesn't speak to your heart right now that you're born again and regenerated, then you're not saved. I, I, that was very lovingly. You're not saved. Why? Because now I'm lovingly letting you know today's the day of salvation for you. You need to know that Jesus Christ loves you and that he has forgiven you. He went to the cross for you if you will only surrender your life to him. And like Paul, say, I, Corey Wells, a pastor in Jesus Christ. Not my past mistakes, not my past history, not my past traumas, not my past situations. That doesn't define me anymore. Who defines me is my Savior. And when you realize you're forgiven, then you're able to what? Forgive others. Now, if you're sitting here as we go through the subject of forgiveness, Paul's going to appeal to this man, Philemon, to forgive his slave, Onesimus. And Paul is very good at convincing this man to forgive Onesimus on the foundation of his relationship 
with Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're not living for Jesus, you have no ability to truly forgive. Do you understand that? That means forgiveness is eating, unforgiveness is eating away at you inside, and it's, it's a heavy weight, I know, because we've all been there before. But here we see Paul is communicating to Philemon, his beloved friend, his fellow laborer. This is what I'm coming to you because I want you to understand how important what I'm about to tell you. Now, you know Philemon is reading this letter. And he's only gone through the very first sentence. Now, what's the second sentence here? We see the next couple of sentences. To the, to the beloved Apiphia or, or Apthia and Archicopus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he does this normal greeting of the household of Philemon. Many believe that uh, Apiphia was his wife. And he's addressing, because it's a personal letter, Philemon, bro, how are you? It's great to see you, man. It's, I love you. And how's your wife? Now, many believe that Archippus is also a son, or possibly the son and the leader of the house church. Now, no, we, can't we can't confirm either one if this is the wife and the son or the wife and the, and, and the elder of some type. But we know it's part of the family. It's a part of a personal letter here. So it's pretty close. But he also refers to the church uh, in your house. So the people who would potentially read this letter from Paul to Philemon would be also noted. But grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you cannot have peace in your life until you first experience what? God's grace. You cannot have peace in your life until you experience God's grace. And that's, again, speaking to you as a believer, that's why you have peace is only by God's grace. Now, Pythia, we know by historical notes here that any time there was a slave within the household, one of the duties of the wife is to oversee the servants, those who were taking care with the, the slaves in the house. Now, many times we automatically think of the absolute worst. And of course, in the Roman Empire, there were, they would believe there were 60 million slaves at the time. People working and doing the work for the, the, for the empire, but also for families. But also keep in mind during this period of time, you could have been the accountant for someone's house. You would have been a slave, a slave who did the accounting. A slave who may have managed all the properties and took care of the entire household and finances, not only the infrastructure. I mean, you could have had tremendous responsibilities in the position. Why? How did you become a slave? Well, you may have made a very bad business deal. And you couldn't pay back the business deal. So now you have to work for the person who you owe. So now you become a slave to pay off that work. 
A period of time, you could actually pay yourself, to the, the, you know, the, the, your master, you could have paid off the master and now be set free. Or at some point in time, you fulfilled your obligations, now you're set free. So you have to keep that in perspective. When we say here, Onesimus being a slave who took off running, Philemon, who's a believer, a brother, is sitting there, that's his slave. So he's writing to this, and they would have been in the family, would have been impacted by Onesimus taking off. But we know that in this time, this church in the house, remember, they did, Christians didn't have buildings typically. The Jews had the synagogues, but Christians, they were coming to Christians, they met by going to each other's house. They went from house to house. That's how they were fed and understood the word of God. That's how they were encouraging one another. That's how they supported financially one another to help people go. Because if you became a Christian, you could have lost your job, lost certain positions. You couldn't do certain things. So people stayed together to help each other through life. And so that's who he's writing to. Then we get to verse 4 and we see that I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. So Paul is saying to Philemon, just know I'm constantly thinking about you and praying for you. I'm not, this is not just formal prayer time. Only when we have designated prayer time did I think of you. But I'm constantly, Philemon, you're always on my mind and I'm always lifting you up to God. And so many things as God leads me to lift you up. And may that be our lives as well. That is people, God, just there's certain people in our lives that we're just constantly, like your kids for as parents or parents, your kids, you're praying for your parents all the time. You're always lifting them up to to God. That's what we should do as a family. So he tells him right up front, I thank my God, and I mention you always, in verse 5, hearing of what? Hearing of your love and your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now that's an important verse, verse here because Paul is going to lead up to a very heavy, uh, convincing argument of why uh, Philemon needs to respond to his letter the way Paul wants him to in regards to forgiveness of Onesimus. So we see this right up front. He says, I'm constantly hearing about your love for Jesus. I'm constantly hearing of your faith in serving Jesus. I'm constantly hearing that you don't love just certain saints, just certain Christians. You love all the saints, all those who are believers in following Jesus. You are consistent, Philemon, in your love for all people. There is no picking and choosing who you love or don't love within the body of Christ. You love everyone consistently. And that I always are lifting up and just praising and giving thanks for. But notice in verse 6 that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. He says there, I'm, I just I love the fact that this faith that I'm hearing, the things that God is doing in and through your life is constantly doing good works through you. This is incredible and in the fact that it just shows your faith and may it is becoming so effective in the work being done in Colossae is because of the fact that God is working through a faithful man did you notice that the reason why he is able to be so effective in the ministry is because God recognizes this is a faithful man doing God's work good work that God has put on their heart that happens for you and I as well Lord, I want to be used by you in my community. I want to be used by you in my church family. I want to be used in my family. How can, in my workplace, how can that be? Then be a faithful man. Be a faithful woman. 
Do what God is leading you to do. Be led by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And you will watch these good works that God will do in and through you. And you will even be shocked of what God is going to do. But he will get all the glory and honor. Amen? It will bring to light to those who are watching your life like Paul's watching Philemon's and saying, I'm promptly talking to God about you because I am just absolutely blown away by the love and the faith and the good works that God is doing through your life to touch the, the community in Colossae. Doesn't that want to be our testimony? Doesn't it? Don't you want to be a man and a woman of faithfulness that is doing God's good works that he's leading you to do? I hope so. Because that's what God wants to do through faithful people. He continues in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. The Greek word for hearts means inner, inner man, the inner woman, that the gut. It's not just the heart, but the actual inner person. It's like deep within. That he's saying that we have such great joy because we're hearing what God's doing in and through your life. And it's, it's this consolation, this, this beautiful refreshment that is happening because of God's love being poured out through your life. And it refreshes the people you're ministering to. Now you have to understand this because people are not going to feel refreshed by you if your God's love is not throw, uh, uh, flowing through you. You can be a Christian, but if you're just not right and not in good space and you're not growing and maturing in your faith, then the love of God, the Spirit of God is not moving through your life and the love of God is not touching people's lives. It's not refreshing. Matter of fact, you become draining to other people. We have to be very careful that we don't drain people in our time of fellowship with them. It should be a refreshing time when they spend time with you. That you're just full of this joy that's working through because the joy of the Lord will be my strength. And that strength and that joy that comes up refreshes people who are completely drained by the world. So when that's why we come back into fellowship. That's why we spend time in fellowship. Why? Because it's not just to get taught. It is about the time to fellowship so that God can pour out through your lives to refresh other people who are absolutely drained by the circumstances of their life. Because there are times we all do get drained. You know that. The world can beat you up. Situation and things do happen, you know. And God wants to use you and use your gift or spiritual gifts to help refresh the hearts, the inner part of people, so they're refreshed when they leave that fellowship time with you. The question is are you willing to be vessels to do that? Are you willing to let God work in and through your life? It reminds me of Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, how, how people need rest these days. 
The rest can only come by Jesus Christ. And it can only come by God taking his people, you, to pour into their lives that something that will refresh their souls. That is a beautiful thing when you see it fully operational in and through people's lives. We see in verse 8 through 11, here's where Paul is going to get real heavy like. Now, I don't consider him a sale, uh, used car salesman at all. I think God has given this man, as we know by history who Paul is, the ability to communicate effectively. And that, I believe, is good and is right. He's not being deceptive, as some people would think. He's not being deceptive at all. He is gently and lovingly reminding his brother Philemon what the truth is. Keep that in mind. Don't let your mind go, oh, he's, being a, he's, he's slick in his writing here. He's not at all. I honestly know, that, no question in my mind, that he is communicating effectively in love to his brother so that he would choose rightly in the situation at hand. And because it's a difficult situation that Philemon is finding himself in here once he finds out. But notice this. Philemon has got the scroll open. He's reading this. He has no clue what Paul is about to tell him. He's only this far into the letter so far. And so far, it's really, really good. It's all positive. It's all a nice greeting. But watch what happens. Therefore, the transitional word, therefore. Therefore what? Look at the first seven verses. Therefore, based on what I just told you, you're full of love. You love all saints. You are doing great and good works that God is doing through your life. You are a picture-perfect Christian doing what God's called you to do. Therefore, Philemon, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, I could tell you based on being an apostle being kind of your spiritual head here, a spiritual leader in your life, as we know, Paul led Philemon to Christ. He discipled this man up. He's a father-son figure. I could, as a father, tell you what to do, but I'm not. I'm not taking that position as an apostle. I'm not taking that as your spiritual father in your life that's poured into your life your whole life as a Christian. He says, a very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. Verse 9. Yet for love's sake. Love, that word is agape. That's in the, in the original language. That means unconditional love. That yet you, that for your unconditional love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Being such a one as Paul. I am Paul. The aged. I'm really old. <laughs> And now also a prisoner in Jesus Christ. So he's laying him. Okay, you got to sit there in Philemon's position reading this letter going, Paul's really, really heavy here. He's sitting here reminding me that, hey, for a, a unconditional love here, Philemon, don't forget, I'm Paul. You know my life. You know what I've gone through. I'm old. He's about 60 years of age about this time. I'm old. And in that time, yes, it was. At 60, we're just getting started, aren't we? But in there, 60 was old. You're, you're, you're fortunate if you made it that far. You have to understand that, right? So I'm old, and don't forget I'm in prison. <laughs> so 
Keep this in mind, Philemon, before you react when I get to the main point. And then what does he say next? I appeal to you for my son. Oh, your son? Who's your son? Onesimus. Oh, you can imagine Philemon, just heart, his stomach just sunk. Why? Because this is the guy who left you. He was a, a runaway slave. And you had people looking for him. And now you're hearing from your spiritual father, Paul, who's poured in your life, that he's now his son as well? A son in the faith? Oh, you can imagine what that must have felt like when he read that, those words. My son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. I led him to Christ while I'm under house arrest. Ooh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Ponder on that for a minute. Watch. Verse 11. Who once was unprofitable to you, he left. He's not providing anything. He's not serving you. He's not doing it. He's unprofitable to you. But now he's profitable to you and to me. Everything changed. Everything changed. Why? Because now Onesimus is saved. Before he was just a slave, a servant, a worker, doing hard work for you. Yes, profitable, great. You loved it, great. You may have had a good relationship with this guy and no problems whatsoever. But for some reason, we don't know, but it appears that Onesimus took off and ran, but he also stole from Philemon, as we will see. Took money, maybe he was the finance guy. He took the money and ran. Maybe he took something valuable and ran. Whatever it was, he ran. And notice, you may not know this, but Colossae is a thousand miles away from Rome where Paul is. So this man huffed it a thousand miles. Which is not uncommon, right? If you're going to flee and run, you better run as far as you can. And you better go to what? The largest city you can because if you get to the largest city, you can just blend in with the rest of the thousands and millions. That's what cities do. Because you can blend in. So there's no surprise. But, but see, here's the difference. When God's involved, everything changes. Did you know that? Look at what happens here. He says to them, he says, I have begotten while in my chains. How did Onesimus get to the house arrest in Rome, a thousand miles away, to see Paul, who happens to be the spiritual father of the man who was the master of him, Philemon? How did that happen? Hello? God. That's how it happened. However it happened in the details, it was still God's divine providence to lead this runaway slave to Rome and get connected to Paul while in chains. And while he's there, Paul leads him to Christ and everything changes. Amazing grace. How many times have I heard the stories of people telling me, Pastor, I ran. My situation was so bad, all I wanted to do was run. 
and I ran and I ran and I ran. And at the other end, wherever that was, the story is that I met someone who led me to Christ and everything changed. Some of you guys are runners. And you've been running from God your whole life. Or you thought you were walking with God because you know of Christianity, because you were born in a Christian family, but you never walked with Christ yourself. And now you're sitting in your head wanting to run. Let me tell you guys, running is never going to solve your problem. It never does. You must face the issue, the root cause of your challenge, and that is a heart issue. Did you know that? Your heart needs to change today. You must forgive. You know that you need to understand that you've been forgiven and stop running. Come home. The Lord loves you. So he's writing this letter to him. And he says, Philemon, he's my son now. He's someone I have led to Christ and Christ, and he's in the family of God. He's in the body of Christ. He is just like you. He's just like me. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everything changed because they, he gave his life to Christ. And so Paul is telling Philemon, I'm appealing to your feelings of compassion for your un." Your, your agape love, for agape love's sake, please open your mind and your heart to receive this man, Onesimus, who has stolen from you, has betrayed you, has ran from you. He has done probably terrible things in this case. He's now a criminal. He is all of the above. He's, in that time, this master, Philemon, could have him branded with an F on his forehead for a, for a fugitive. He could be branded the rest of his life for the things he just did. They could actually have him killed. They could have him his hands cut off for stealing. He could have done anything they wanted to do in this environment of Roman Empire. And Paul is saying... Find the compassion of forgiveness. I appealed for forgiveness, Philemon, that you would forgive our brother, my son, for what he has done. Yes, he's done it to you personally, Philemon. I know that in your family. I got that. But for Christ's sake, for God's love, the ungodly love, forgive this man. Now, for many, it's very illogical. For those who are apart from Christ, those who are not walking in Christ, you automatically are saying, that is absolutely the stupidest thing that you can do is forgive him. He deserves it. There's justice, man. He's a brother. He's a sister in Christ. How can you not forgive your sister, and forgive your brother. We must. 
Paul often spoke of his sons in the faith or children in the faith. We see that when he wrote to Timothy, he wrote to Col- uh, uh, the Corinthian believers, he, the Galatian Christians. I mean, you just see this love that Paul has for all the people he personally has led to Christ and ministered to. They were his children. He just loved them like a father. Verse 12, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. Philemon, I'm, here's Onesimus. Receive him like he's my heart, like you're receiving me. That's how I want you to do it, Philemon. Act like I'm the one walking in that door right there. I'm the one showing up in front of you, broken, changed. Christ has forgiven me. I have a repentant heart. I'm asking you for forgiveness, Philemon. It's me that's standing in front of you. Verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me. Don't get, don't get wrong, Philemon. This brother, who, a, son of me, a son of mine now, I wish he would stay with me. He's that profitable for me that that great that goodness that refresh I would like him to stay with me but notice here that on on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel I wish he could stay here because I know that he would minister to me and help me in the work of the ministry to share and spread the gospel throughout Rome here while in prison that would be so awesome but because of my love for you Philemon and because this relationship needs to be reconciled and giving you an opportunity to forgive I'm going to send him back to you and he did verse 14 but without your consent I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion or by force as it were, but voluntary. He says, I want you to have the opportunity to do what is right and good in the sight of God because you will be rewarded for doing the right thing. I could have kept him here and hid him away and worked with me and all kinds of things. But no, I want your consent because of the love that Paul has for Philemon. Because of the fact that God, he knew without a no doubt in his mind, if he sent Onesimus back, that his son in the faith, Philemon, was going to do what God's called him to do, and that is to forgive. He knew it. That's why he sent back and says, I want your consent. I want, you to, I want to do nothing to get between you and God and God rewarding and doing a work through you because it'll be such a testimony, not only in your life, but Onesimus' life. But think of the testimony that it would have throughout the church body and look at it does today. It's all about Christian forgiveness. Look at this man should have been punished. But it's about Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I didn't want to do this by force. I didn't want to tell you what to do. I want it to be completely voluntary. I don't tell you what to do as a pastor. 
I'm going to serve you and feed you the word of God and help you and encourage you in what God's called you to do. But I want you to voluntarily serve God. I want you to voluntarily forgive people. I want you to voluntarily to help people. I want you to voluntarily for you to love on people. Because I know that God will bless you for that. I mean, he, Philemon, I'm sorry, Paul could have played it pretty heavily on Philemon by throwing out some really heaviness. In it. But it is heavy, don't get me wrong, he's heavy. You know, it's like, it's like Philemon, if you leave Onesimus with me, it's like you serving me. You know, you know, if you leave them with me, it's like you serving by sending someone to me to serve for you. And it's, it, it, wouldn't that be great? That'd be awesome. But don't forget, I'm in chains. I'm limited what I can do. So if you really kept Onesimus with me, you know, look uh, how much more uh, work I could be doing. That's what he's saying. Philemon, if you let him stay here and come back to me, think about the fact the gospel, I'm trying to do God's work here. You must think beyond your little situation of life. Your forgiveness is going to have impact on not just one life. But that life that you forgive can now be free to do what God wants to do in and through that life. That's what Paul's saying to him. And when we forgive others, you've set them free to be able to go do what God's called them to do and do it in God's name, in Jesus Christ's name. But notice here in verse 15 and 16, which is really the key verses in this epistle. For perhaps, key words there, underline those, for perhaps... He departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, but both in the flesh and in the Lord. So he really lays it out here. Philemon, I need you to get the big picture here. For perhaps this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. And this is the reason why all of the situation played out the way it played out is to, for, for Onesimus to be saved and that all the then the dominoes effects after that will bring glory to God. That's what Paul's saying here. He says it in a nice way. He doesn't say in the letter, Philemon, Onesimus, he's a runaway slave. That's terrible. And how terrible can that be? And oh, no, he, he really softens it a little bit, doesn't he? He says, he just, he just departed from you, Philemon, just for a little while. It wasn't that he ran. It wasn't that he took, up and took off and stole and really messed things up. And he should be, but no, he says, he just departed for a little while. But he's back. But there was a bigger purpose. And you need to see the bigger purpose, Philemon. 
You need to see. I, pr- I think he, this is what Paul would have been saying to, to Philemon. You say, Philemon, it seems to me that God is working in an unusual ways here. Let me tell you what I see is happening. Let me tell you what I see through the situation at hand. And perhaps it will make sense to you if you see it from my perspective. Because he wants Philemon to see the possibility for perhaps God is in this all the way. Now hear me, my brothers and sisters. I know that many of you, if not most of you, have gone through some kind of trauma or really, really bad situation or a really been rejected or you've done some whatever it is whatever's in the mind right now understand as a child of God you're probably sitting here because of that bad situation you're sitting here today and you're saved did you get that you're saved because of that really bad trauma that really bad situation. Or someone is sitting here because of someone else's trauma and situation that caused you to see the love of God and that caused you to come to Christ. I know there's just a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, there was a young man that came in here because he's going through trauma and he gave his life to Christ here just a couple of weeks because he was going through trauma. I call it trauma because it was a nicer way of, of really bad situations taking place in life. Sometimes it's self-inflicted. Sometimes it's inflicted upon you. But you have to come now as a child of God and see for perhaps God is orchestrating all of this for what? For, his, for your purpose in him. And we need to see that because if Paul was writing this letter to the Romans, he would be saying it clearly in Romans 8.28, would he not? That all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That's what Paul is telling Philemon. All of this going on and all those issues and problems... It's for God's purpose. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. Do you understand that? And so when you see that, you come to this thing. Philemon, I want you to hold on to two key things here. Onesimus is saved. Angels are rejoicing when someone is saved. Heavens are opened up for the fact that this man got saved. You've got to go beyond the fact that he has run from you and stole from you and and did bad things and whatever it is. You must understand that he's saved. He's saved. And the second thing you have to understand is Philemon, the master You lost a slave. Yes, I got that. 
But you have to understand now, as a brother, you have gained a brother. As a Christian, you have gained a brother. So now he's not just working for you and being a slave to whatever you want him to do. He is now a bondservant, a willing vessel to do and to serve and to help and to be along your side as a brother in Christ. It changes everything. It changes everything. So that you might receive him forever. We're talking eternity here, Philemon. We're not talking temporal. We're talking about eternity and the things that come there. No longer as a slave, but no more than a slave, but a beloved brother. He's gained a brother that is going to be so profitable, so good, and so right for not only your life, my life, and what God's going to do through his purpose of his life. And we know Onesimus, if we believe in the scripture, he goes on to be leading in churches. He's going to be going out and doing what Paul's doing. He's going out to do what Philemon's doing. Which tells you, Philemon forgave, forgave Onesimus and set him. Notice here, keep going here. If then you count me as a partner, if you count me as a cohort, a, a, a collaborator, a person who's, we're working together, we're joined together in the work of God. You're, we're partners here. If you count me as a partner, Philemon, receive Onesimus, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Oh, my brothers and sisters, don't miss the connection of Jesus Christ, the gospel right here. Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Ooh, he puts in a closer here. You want to close the deal as a salesman? Here's the closer. Anyone who's been in sales, understand you have to have a closer. Right? That you, can't, you can't not, okay, I buy it. I, I take it. Okay, I got it. If you're my partner in business here, serving God, doing the ministry, you're in the ministry together, then you'll receive Onesimus back. And if he's done anything wrong, if he stole from you, put it on my account. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Take all their sin and put it on my account as I and pinned to the tree. I will take all of what they have stolen, what of all what they have done, all the wrongs, and put it on me, and I will pay it to my account. Do you know that's what Jesus did for you? And that's what Paul is saying directly to Philemon. I will pay his debt. I will pay it in full. And Paul says, I am so serious about this. I have eye issues. I have problems. But I am going to write right here with my own writing. 
This is the IOU. I will do this. And don't forget at the very end of the closure, don't forget, you owe me because I have poured in my life into your life. I led you to Christ. I discipled you. That's a heavy closure. How do you say no to him? Not if you have a heart that's soft like Philemon. You would never do that. We find here in 20, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, not to, to, to Paul, your obedience to Christ, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. What is that more than I say? What does that mean? Not only do I want you and I'm appealing for you to forgive this man, Onesimus, who went and did, did you wrong, but I want you to set him free as a slave. And Paul was confident that's exactly what Philemon would do. That you will do even more than I say. Verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers, Philemon, I shall be granted to you. <laughs> I see that last closure. I kind of love it, right? Dad's coming on heavy, talking to the son. This is what the expectations are. This is my expectations, what you're going to do. I know you son so well. I know you're going to follow through with it. And you will even do more than what I'm asking you to do, son. And oh, by the way, I'm coming for a visit because you're going to pray for me to come see you, right? Maybe that's what I should do with my kids down in New Virginia. Pray that they will pray me down there. Uh, so let's go down and visit them more often, right? There's a little one I love so dearly that he listens as a little over two-year-old. He listens every Sunday online. And you know what he loves to say, and I just it tickles me when he says it. He says, he goes, where do you see that? Or where do you read that? Or what is, what is grandpa doing? Jesus God book. He's reading Jesus God book. I love that. He gets it. He gets it. May we all get it. And may we be in prayer as he says, pray for me because I know you're not going to hold this against me, Philemon. I know that you're going to pray for me to come down and be in your guest room and spend time with you because there's love between you and I. He had a trust. And then in verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We see in his closure here, Epaphras, fellow prisoner. We don't know specifically, but I believe that he, Epaphras, who was the pastor over Colossae, is now in here ministering and somehow he's in prison house arrest with 
Paul somehow, someway. I believe that. Why? Because the rest of them then he mentions Mark, which is John Mark, if you remember him, and Aristarchus, and Demas, and Luke. They're fellow laborers. They're in the area, but they're not a fellow prisoner here. If you remember, Epaphras was probably the pastor there of that church. I believe Onesimus knew that where Epaphras went, he went to Rome. And I think that was the driving force. That's what I believe. You may believe something different. But I think that's what drove him to Rome and to find this man, Epaphras, who they had a relationship, who then took him to Paul. And that's how he was able to link up with Paul. That's at least what the Lord is showing me. You may find something different. Mark is John Mark. If you remember, John Mark was, was with Paul in Colossians 4.10, a young man who failed Paul in the missionary work, on a missionary journey. He failed him and he ran and left him in the ministry. And Paul was quite upset. But notice, Paul forgave John Mark. And now John Mark is back in the ministry serving alongside right there in Rome and other places with Paul. We know that Aristarchus was from Thessalonica and he accompanied Paul to Jerusalem and then to Rome. We see that in Acts 19. Demas, you remember him, he was a great and faithful laborer. Then he was kind of present and at the end of his life he was a runner. He took off running. We see it in 2 Timothy 4.10 when we read that. He all of a sudden said, I'm done with the ministry. I'm just leaving and took off running. Because of the love for the world. He wanted to go back into the world. He didn't want nothing to do with the ministry anymore. He didn't end well. And of course Luke is the physician Doc Luke. Who faithfully was beside Paul all the time. Taking care of him. And he ultimately God used him to write what? The gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Amazing men that were around Paul. But Paul always finishes with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's how we'll end here. May you and I have gracious spirit toward others. A gracious spirit, not a critical spirit. Critical spirits destroy fellowships, relationships. But the gracious spirit that we should have, one of forgiveness and one of, of agape love, actually refreshes the body of Christ. Amen? And that's what Paul is ending here. That we would have an appeal for Christian forgiveness in all of the relationships that we have. 